Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to this edition of All Options Considered. I'm Tambe Sandhu. Chief Global Derivative Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg. On this episode, I will be joined by Kathy Clay, Global Head of Derivatives at SIBO. For reference, this has been recorded on the 15th of February, 2024. If you like what we're doing with Thick Focus, we'll appreciate if you can follow and share to allow us to keep delivering this great content. So Kathy, great to have you on. Wonderful to be here, Tanvir. Thanks for having me. So let's start with zero days to expiry options, options that trade and expire on the same day. Often receive questions on this topic and it comes up in client conversations. There has been huge growth in this activity with volumes north of 50% of the total S&P 500 options volume. That was under 10% five years ago. And for context, the total notional of open interest of options on the S&P is 24% of the total market cap. So north of $10 trillion in notional terms. So given the amount of interest in this product, the conversations are typically around whether this type of activity is adding to market fragility with references to the 2018 Volmageddon type episode, although that episode was related to VIX exchange-traded products following a period when VIX was printing single digits. It seems end users use it as a low-cost way to tactically trade around event risk, amp up leverage, and largely the strategies have a cap risk profile. So what trends are you seeing in the data, Kathy? Well, you know, it's interesting that you start with sort of the controversy of zero DTEs, uh, because certainly we've been a part of that conversation for a while now. And I would say that while we watch the data in the trading quite carefully, the same trends that we've seen throughout the history of uh, zero DTEs remains the same. We're seeing that very balanced and diverse flow both on the buy and the sell side. We're continuing to see a diverse range of strategies, uh, a lot of spread trading, a lot of, as you mentioned, Tanvir, the capped risk types of trades coming into the market. We're seeing still that balanced uh, flow from different market participants. So both institution and retail are trying to find ways in which using zero DTEs best fits their portfolio. And as you mentioned, the tactical use of these zero DTEs remains very popular. And in fact, is continuing to gain momentum even after the strong gains in these types of strategies and zero DTEs we saw in 2023. How do you see the split in terms of client base? So retail versus institutional? Yeah, we continue to see institutionals at a greater percentage than retail, but retail's hanging in there around the 40%, institutional 60%. Of late, we have seen a bit more shift on the institutional side. So we do see those clients coming in more uh, as a percentage of flow coming into these trades. So let's say we have a 10% drop in the S&P. Are you of the view that this kind of activity is going to exacerbate that decline, uh, given potential flows from dealers hedging the risk associated with it? Or do you sense that, you know, zero days to expiry options aren't going to be at the scene of the crime when we have a liquidity episode in the market? 
I, I don't think that the zero DTEs will be the culprit on the crime scene if we if and when we do have some sort of you know downfall. I do think when you look at over to the VIC side of the complex, for example, and you see a lot of tail risk hedging through the utilization of VIX calls, that can exacerbate some of this downside that we're we're talking about right now. So I would say, yes, you know, there's always some pain felt when the market has a correction, but we would anticipate that there would be the same hedges in place as usual and that VIX calls would be utilized quite heavily in terms of that tail risk exposure. So VIX call volume has actually been hitting record highs and it's effectively just a tail event expression. So a vol hedge that has the benefit of convexity rather than, you know, a directional expression. People analyze, should I be looking at S&P puts or VIX calls to hedge a market sell-off? And it largely depends on the kind of risk that's being hedged and where the market is priced. Uh, but in general, you know, VIX calls tend to have a greater payoff in tail events as vol rises in a convex manner. The market hasn't had a 2% decline since 2022. People start asking questions about, you know, should I be adding this in good size? Or does it just become a line item in my end of year? However, with this kind of activity, you're not timing is literally just portfolio diversification. Yeah, exactly. And that's a good question. You know, the uh, put buying in SPX has has potentially been a little bit dampened. If you would just look at the skew of the options in the SPX, it's a bit flat relative to historical norms. But really a way to also interpret that flattening of the skew is really the demand for the SPX calls. And so we see a lot of demand for upside SPX calls that has flattened that skew profile. So it becomes a really good conversation to have around as skew has flattened, what is better for a portfolio and simply cannot be answered unless you're looking at the specific portfolio in question. But is put buying in the SPX better than that convexity trade you're talking about, Tanver, with those VIX calls to really prevent against the uh, large tail event. So when we talk about the skew, we're talking about vol related to puts versus vol related to calls. And that's effectively at the lower quartile of the last 10 years. And, you know, we put it down to the fact that there's been this chase for the upside. There's almost more fear of the upside than the downside. And particularly last year where investors were underweight equities, there's also a lack of reactivity or volatility to market declines. So, you know, the beta between changes in the VIX versus the returns on the S&P is actually quite weak. We saw last year where the skew had a round trip, right? So in 2023, when we had the US regional banking stress flare up in March, you know, the skew moved higher. So it does show how the skew can be revived in moments when we have acute stress. But I anticipate that the market will remain reluctant to mark up implied volatility significantly, where by the dip is actually still very strong. Yeah, I think what you're you're speaking to here is really the shift of thinking that we were in for a hard landing and investors preparing for that sort of harsh landing and then the switch that the Fed was going to become more friendly and dovish and now more anticipation toward the soft landing scenario which then again would in, imply greater chasing returns to the upside maybe even replacement strategies for your holdings using call options. So you can see a lot of reasons as this macro shift has happened that investors would really 
you know, move towards the call side of the montage for exposures that then give them a better outcome if and when we actually hit the soft landing as now more universally expected. So across asset classes, the one place that stands out is interest rate volatility. And we saw last year how the gap between interest rates and equity and FX vol was at historical wides. Cross-asset volatility has been compressing. VIX has been clustering at low levels, despite this macro uncertainty. You know, we attribute that really to the low realized volatility in the market, rather than the increase in AUM on ETFs that sell volatility through overwriting strategies. For example, the JEPI ETF, the JP Morgan ETF, is probably a bit more simple than that. It's essentially the fact that the index vol has been low. 23, we was on a 13 handle on realized volatility. And that's the main reason that really explains away the low levels of VIX. And we can also assess it through the volatility risk premium, which is pretty much at long-term averages between two to three vol points if we take the spread between VIX and realized vol of the index. Yeah, and I think you bring a good point. You know, the question about why is the VIX so low really does come back to we are, you know, in a realized volatility space within historical uh, regions for it to be at the levels that it's at. And then if you feed back into the zero DTE conversation and is zero DTE trading suppressing the VIX, it sounds like you and I are in alignment that that's not what's causing the suppression in VIX. And one other thing to look at then when it comes to the fragility of the zero DTE environment as a whole would be then to look at intraday moves within the index itself to see if we're having, you know, strange movements of intraday movement that would be explained by these zero DTE options. And again, that is not something that we see in the data as well. We see the same historical norms in terms of intraday moves in the index, just like we're seeing in the end of day to end of day realized vol calculations. So what's your broad outlook for the year in terms of volumes you anticipate to see on your side? I would, if we see the same soft landing scenario and buy-in to that happening, I think we continue to see these same sorts of volumes increasing the same sorts of trades that you would see, which is the upside tail risk hedging from call options in the VIX. I think you'll see more participants come in and tactically use these short dated options for various reasons and certainly around big events. I mean, that the CPI earlier this week really was a case in point of the use of the zero DTE options heading into and after that announcement. I think it was 1.8 million call contracts on VIX traded in that day as VIX spiked up intraday to 18 and then back down again. So unless something materially changes from the macroeconomic perspective, I would continue to see people getting very comfortable uh, trading in the zero DTEs because the risk comes off every day and they get to redeploy the next day. I would continue to see, I believe, the upside call buying, call spread buying in VIX as that systemic tail risk hedge for their portfolios. I do believe we'll see more volume moving in the Russell 2000 now that we have the Tuesdays, Thursdays. Uh, and so short something um, different than what we can see today, I would continue to say more of the same. Recently, Bitcoin crossed 50,000. We had the launch of multiple ETFs. When are we going to see those options on ETFs? I wish I could give you the exclusive here today, Tanver, and tell you I knew exactly the date. But unfortunately, we are in a holding pattern as the regulators review the filings 
and give us comments on whether or not they need more information or if they will ultimately approve or deny uh, our applications. What would you say is a strong reason that they could potentially deny options on BTC? I think any time they're going to deny uh, a filing and asking for options on these ETFs, it's much more in the discomfort around the underline of the ETFs being that spot uh, Bitcoin holding rather than like a futures holding. So I think it's just more of a an anomaly from a regulatory perspective to have an ETF listed on a spot commodity. We only have a few that are out there trading right now on the precious metals, right? GLD on gold and SLV on silver. So these aren't the regular way types of ETF options on the ETFs filing. So it just takes a little bit more analysis. There's more rigor around whether or not they're going to approve it and they're just less common. So it takes more time. And how do you view the potential of an Ethereum ETF and then options on that? Would you see that as a, a different product and have increased odds of denial or would you put them on an equal playing field? It's a great question. I, do, I don't know how to handicap that conversation. I know that when Bitcoin futures were listed, Ether wasn't that far behind. Uh, and so I would say that, that it will get more scrutiny um, just because the liquidity profile is a little bit different. The notional trade it is different. So I think it would be a separate conversation and not just an expectation that if the Bitcoin ETFs were approved for options, that ultimately Ethereum ETFs would be approved for options. I think it would be on a case-by-case -case basis, highly scrutinized by the regulators. Well, that, that was great, Kathy. Thanks for joining us on this episode of All Options Considered. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me.